Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul. Welcome back, listeners, for mm-hmm. part two of The Staircase. Uh, such an interesting case. Sorry you've had to wait a week. Mm. Kirsten and I waited two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The fire, it's the memories, they're all real fresh for us right now. <laughs> uh, are you ready to talk about it? Oh, yes. So, wasting no time, and now apologies to Kirsten, I feel like just since it has been a week, a quick duplication. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I said it last episode, but this case is definitely a part of the constellation of my own interest in true crime. The Staircase, along with podcasts like S-Town, I was hooked, Mm -hmm. I was wrapped in, it pulled me into the world, deeper into true crime, and even into the world of like document, like not documentaries, but like nonfiction podcast. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know if there's a word for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited to keep talking about it. And one of the like really fascinating and bizarre things Kirsten graciously left out for me to talk about in the culture side. One of the weirder things about the case is that Peterson immediately surrounded himself with cameras and a documentary crew Mm -hmm. who were able to record what felt like everything. Yeah, yeah. To kick us off on this culture side, I'm going to talk about the documentary The Staircase. Mm. It was created by Academy Award-winning French filmmaker Jean-Xavier de l'Estrade. Apologies. That is the best pronunciation I have, but I don't know if it's right. (laughs) (laughs) But the documentary offers an intimate depiction of defense preparations for the trial. It examines the role and behavior of the press as it covered every aspect of the case. The filmmaker started this project within weeks of Kathleen's death Mm -hmm. before Peterson's murder indictments, which... It's insane. Yeah, it is. (laughs) What would make Peterson agree to this? How did a documentary crew even decide to cover the case? So I can't speak to Peterson's motivation. Well, we'll have that in the speculation (laughs) part, but I was able to at least find clear answers to the latter. So in 2001, De La Strade directed the Oscar-winning Murder on a Sunday Morning, which highlighted the case of Brenton Butler, a black teenager who was wrongfully convicted of murder in Jacksonville, Florida. And he was on the lookout for his next project, and he had a very specific idea for his follow-up, another documentary that would dissect the American criminal justice system, but this time from the perspective of a white defendant who could afford a top-notch legal team. Mm Mm-hmm. So De La Strade told The Ringer that he and his team spent five months reviewing about 300 cases, which is how they found Michael Peterson. Mm-hmm. And apparently the fact that both Peterson and his lawyer at that time, that like the first round of lawyers, David mm-hmm. Rudolph, were willing to offer the filmmakers unfettered access to their preparations for the trial was a huge bonus to the documentary. 
Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Like, they were going to do the documentary with or without the access. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why, but they agreed to give them the access. And De La Strade reportedly had a feeling that there was something unusual about Peterson's case that would make for a compelling story. Mm. So this is a quote from him. Quote, First, when I met Michael, he was so convincing and very sincere when he spoke about Kathleen. I believed his love for her, but that there was some kind of mystery about him and a complexity to his character. Then the day after, I met with the prosecution team and Freda Black. They said plainly, Michael Peterson is evil. End quote. Mm. Peterson was indicted for the murder of his wife in the end of 2001. And shooting on the series began shortly thereafter. Originally, the plan was to create a two-hour documentary, but with the insane level of access, the twists, the turns that were being recorded in real time, they realized there was a lot more to the story. So an abbreviated version was broadcast as a special two-hour presentation on, I guess we have international listeners, like the American news show Primetime. (laughs) And that came out in 2004, July of 2004. So the miniseries was completed in 2004 and premiered in October of that year on the French channel Canal Plus. Then in January of 2005, so a few months later, it premiered on BBC4 as part of its Storyville documentary series. And then in April of 2005, it premiered on the Sundance channel mm-hmm. in the United States. And that's how I watched it. Mm-hmm. 17-year-old me. It's <laughs> like, oh, I've heard about this, like, crime show I should watch. <laughs> and then it wasn't over because the case kept going. So De La Strade returned to film Peterson and his family in 2012 and 2013, Mm -hmm. covering developments in the case that were released as a two-hour sequel. And then three new episodes with further updates were later made for Netflix. And in 2018, the streaming service uploaded the entire thing as a 13-episode docuseries. Mm -hmm. That's when I saw it. Yeah. So I... I was on the early ride, like Mm -hmm. I said, (laughs) 17-year-old, looking toward high school graduation. So I watched this thing. I'd never seen a docuseries like it. Mm -hmm. I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that may be because the series, while there's questions of bias, never officially sides for or against Peterson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, of course, that was by design. So, Mm -hmm. again, an interview from De La Strade, but this one in 2018, he said, quote, The purpose has never been to look for the truth or to look for what happened that night. It was just to look at the way the justice system would treat the case, and it took 17 years, end quote. Yeah. Which I feel like almost because they weren't looking for the truth, they did a better job of sifting out the truth in a weird way. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, again, we don't know what the truth is, but without having that clear motive, it's like, we probably got a closer to the truth than had they been trying to find it. Yeah. And I mean, shit was coming out in real time. I mean, that's what, as you said, you know, 
when I was 17, I never saw anything like this. I'm thinking I saw it in my 30s and I had never seen anything like it. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's uh, speaking of crazy. (laughs) It's time to go get at least my tinfoil hat. Uh Uh-huh, let's hear it. So as you said last week, one of the most bizarre pieces is the infamous owl theory. Mm-hmm. And I am not coming out against the owl theory. <laughs> I'm not saying I believe it's what happened, but I'm saying it could be enough to make me have a reasonable doubt in a guilty verdict. So I'm going to explain it a little bit more in depth for folks who haven't watched the series, haven't obsessively looked it up over (laughs) 17, 18 years. Uh, And then I'm hoping Kirsten and I will have a discussion to see if she thinks I'm a lunatic or not. (laughs) So according to this theory, an owl got tangled in her hair and in an attempt to extricate itself, ended up causing her death. Mm. So right off the bat, it sounds like bullshit. I get that. I hear that. (laughs) But the idea didn't come from nowhere. Mm -hmm. So the autopsy report did note that Kathleen had pine needles stuck to one of her hands, clumps of her own hair in Mm -hmm. both of her hands, Mm -hmm. and a microscopic owl feather and reexamination showed multiple owl feathers entangled Mm -hmm. in the clumps. So Peterson's attorney did not argue the owl theory, even though several animal experts agreed on its plausibility. Mm -hmm. And this I don't think is David. I think this is one of his later attorneys because it's later in the case. Yeah. Um, But they said in an interview with Audubon in 2016, quote, When you look at her injuries, they do appear consistent with being made by an owl's talons, but I would hate to risk my client's life or future on that argument, end quote. Mm. Yeah. The filmmaker also thought the owl theory was bullshit and has since changed his mind. Mm. So this is a different interview with him where he said, quote, At face value, this theory seems absurd, so I treated it with a great deal of caution. Yet today, I have to admit that numerous facts favor this owl theory. Two years ago, I met with a well-known neurological surgeon. After a careful look over several days at Kathleen's injuries, he told me, quote within a quote, These injuries are not consistent with any form of blunt instrument used as a weapon. These injuries could not have produced could not have been produced with a pipe, hammer, knife, tire iron, or even a hand claw such as would be used in a garden. Mm. These wounds, however, are most consistent with lacerations caused by a large raptor or bird of prey. Four puncture wounds converging to a point via jagged lacerations without associated scalp contusions must be considered to have been inflicted by a raptor talon until proven otherwise. Furthermore, these specific lacerations are of the dimension of the barred owl's talons, end quote. Hmm. Hmm. So, the idea, according to that same surgeon, is that the owl attack happened outside of the house, which led to Kathleen fainting, most likely on the staircase, leading to a fall either down the stairs or at the foot of the stairs, suffering a fractured thyroid cartilage as she fell. This Mm. is followed by a period of unconsciousness during which she either hemorrhages to death or asphyxiates to death, end Mm. quote. 
So just a couple other anecdotes. Good friend of the pod, Liz B, Mm -hmm. (laughs) was jogging, and a bird of prey swooped down and grabbed her ponytail. Hmm. It did not grab her scalp, but that did happen to a real-life person that we know. (laughs) I mean, a bobbing ponytail does look from far away, I'm sure, a lot like, I don't know, the tail of a raccoon or something that a raptor might want to eat. I'll never forget the phone call, Liz. I know you're a listener. <laughs> and Liz was just like, I could feel its claws. <laughs> but according to a vulture article I found, owl attacks of this nature are not uncommon. And when NBC's Dateline covered the Peterson case, they found a local man whose attack by an owl was caught on surveillance cameras. Mm. He likened it to being hit by a baseball bat and he bled so much that he thought he'd lost an eye. Oh my god. So, how are you feeling about this owl theory? <laughs> <laughs> you might be swaying me. I mean, okay, so I I don't remember what episode, but I feel like we have talked about this on the pod before. In it some, is ringing a bell. <laughs> yeah, some other way. And I was like... The owl theory is so bananas because I thought that the owl theory was that the owl came into the house. And I was like, no, I I cannot believe that. Like an owl got in, killed her, got out, like what? But outside, I could see it. Um, There's still questions. Why didn't he know she was attacked by an owl? Right, I mean, she would have been screaming. And also, why would the? I would think that there would be blood leading into the house, right? But if she was like running in, because the staircase wasn't that far, so you would think it's just surprisingly hard to not drip blood when you have any kind of volume of it coming out of you. Don't ask me how I know. I'm just gonna be (laughs) mysterious, but. But I do think it brings into the question, not necessarily do you believe the owl theory, but could the owl theory potentially affect your view on reasonable doubt? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because there's really no explanation as to why there weren't skull fractures or brain hemorrhage or brain swelling in that way. Right. He would have had to kill her in such a bizarre way, which doesn't mean he didn't. Right. Dude's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. And, you know, the prosecution's theory kind of never really made sense because it was, A, this mystery weapon that no one could find that could inflict Mm -hmm. damage that nobody's really ever seen. But also... Because there was no, like, um... Splatter upward? Yeah. Cast off, it's called. Sorry. <laughs> there was no cast off. I mean, they literally presented that they thought he wiped the the weapon down in between strikes. <laughs> which makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, if their theory that she found out about his double life and they argued and she threatened to expose him just as he was running for office... And he flew into a mad rage. I mean, nobody in a mad rage is going to be like, boom, oh, the splatter. Let me wipe this off. Boom, the uh-huh. splatter. I mean, that that doesn't make sense. 
So, I mean, I think the combination of the theory, you know, having a lot of expert support and the other theories not really making sense would definitely cause reasonable doubt. I mean, essentially for me, what makes me think that he is guilty is he lied. You know, he said that her heart was beating and it was not probably Mm -hmm. that she had been dead for a while. Also, you know, seeing the documentary and how he behaved. So, I mean, this is a huge part of it for me. He seems like a complete narcissist. And I think that's why he let the film cruise in, like to such an extent that he was blind to the danger of doing it. Like he's smart enough to have gotten a lawyer like right away to not said anything right away but like so blinded by his own narcissism that the opportunity to, I don't know, be seen and heard and have his side of the story told, like got him to do something really, really stupid, which is Mm -hmm. let people in to see all the behind the scenes. But you also see it just throughout. He just really reeks of narcissism and the way that he talked to his kids and the way he talked about Kathleen and I don't know, like maybe he could be charming face to face, but everything about him like made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Totally. And this is probably where I surprise the listeners by saying, I also think he did it. Mm -hmm. But if it was a court system of like a preponderance of evidence, I would 100% vote guilty. But I don't think I would vote guilty as a member of the jury beyond reasonable doubt. Even though I think he did it, Mm -hmm. I don't think the evidence, there is so much ambiguity in so many directions. And I hate to even utter this, but I think with the way our court systems are built, I would rather err on the side of an innocent, of a guilty person going innocent than an Mm -hmm. innocent person going to prison. And I just, there's so many inconsistencies on both sides. I just don't know that I could vote guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, I I agree. Um, but I think he, I think he did it. I mean. How though? I, I don't know how. Like, that's also why I go to the owl so often, <laughs> because it is weirdly consistent with the wounds. Right. And also seems bizarre enough that he couldn't have possibly known to stage it you know yeah but again why was there no blood coming into the house because she would have been bleeding profusely but i mean there is a chance it was slightly delayed like with the valium like her blood pressure could have been a little bit lower she could have like rushed right into the staircase, started to go up. Like maybe that's where the uh, like first aid kits and stuff were, like in mm-hmm. the upstairs bathroom. And then she fell once, and then she's like disoriented. Like the fall is like accelerating the bleeding. Once she's in the staircase, she falls multiple times trying to get up. But when you there's be a shouting, world. I mean, yes, there's a world. But wouldn't you be shouting your husband's name? So my couple of straight up absolute bullshit theories mm-hmm. 
Like, maybe he was passed out. Mm. Like, passed out drunk and thought that looked worse for him. Because, oh, I don't know what happened. I was asleep. (laughs) Versus, oh, my God, she's in the stairs. She's fallen. This is insane. I think she's breathing. I mean, when I, like, this is going to go dark, but, like, I couldn't tell if my dad was breathing or not when I found him. Mm -hmm. It was so shocking. Nothing was in real time. And it was like, like the paramedics were like, was he breathing? And I was like, I don't know. Well, but I mean, I think that's illustrates the point almost is why would you, you wouldn't say that they were. But if you're like, if you think like you're looking at them, you're panicking, you think you see chest movement, which could still even be like body movement and gas. And he probably like shook her and touched her. Again, I still think he did it somehow. (laughs) But like there are worlds in which he was confused. To me, the blood, because the blood seems like such a pertinent detail to 911. Like get here now, there's blood everywhere. Right. That is crazy to me. Also, I just feel like, wouldn't you be like, what happened? My God, what happened? Like, I. My again, other idea was like, what if he went for a hookup? Mm. Got back. Found this. There's no way to explain where he was without mm-hmm. revealing that he was having sex with a man. Mm-hmm. Again, out of my ass. No specu- like no yeah, validity I mean, whatsoever. That's but... what this whole part is about. <laughs> that was another piece that I was thinking of like, well, there would be a couple reasons for an innocent person to not tell the truth about how he found her. But again, I would still think murder. Just because they're at the bottom of the stairs, like that amount of blood to a regular person, you'd be like, I don't know what happened. I think she's been murdered. Right. Right. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Unless another like wild, no basis in fact theory is maybe he thought one of his sons did it. And I do think that there was some kind of speculation about this that Mm. he didn't want to say murder because he thought that his son had done it. And then, you know what I mean? So maybe this is my, as insane as it sounds for it to be this one, maybe this is my, if I get like one case answered in death. Mm -hmm. Well, because I feel like of the ones that we've discussed, other than Jack the Ripper, who is like, nobody has any fucking idea, really. This is the one that seems most up in the air. Like, Jean Benet, I mean, I would kind of like to have my suspicion confirmed, mm-hmm. you know, but, and others, I don't know. This one feels, like, pretty binary. Like, I, it's it's a crazy one. But, again, I, I feel like either one could be equally true because both of them have lots of holes and things mm-hmm. that still don't make any sense. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, getting back into the culture, I guess, rounding out the docuseries, of course, it has incredible critic reviews. It won a Peabody Award. Mm -hmm. 
which is awarded for, quote, distinguished achievement and meritorious public service by television and radio stations, networks, producing organizations, individuals, and the World Wide Web, end quote. Hmm. So Peabody's legit. Yeah. It also helped set the tone and prove to other networks and streaming services that true crime docuseries like this can have a huge audience. Because, I mean, Sundance Channel? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What the hell? I don't even remember. I had to, like, download stuff, maybe even pirate it to get to Sundance Channel. Oh, my God, yeah. So staying in the world of nonfiction, the case has been a mainstay, like, all of our regulars, Forensic File, Cold Case, New Detectives, American Justice, Dominic Dune's Power, Privilege, and Justice, True Crime with Aphrodite Jones, The Devil You Know, multiple <laughs> episodes of Dateline, <laughs> BBC Radio 5, like, the documentary itself was made by a French filmmaker, aired in France first, <laughs> like... Yeah, that's amazing to me. So taking a step away into the slightly more obscure world of fiction... So there's a short-lived 2017 NBC sitcom called Trial and Error. Hmm. And it parodies and details this case. Ah. So speaking about the show, co-creator Jeff Astrov said, quote, The genesis of this was around five years ago in the writer's room across Warner Brothers. A documentary called The Staircase was going around. I remember watching it with my wife. And at the time, I wish I had said John Lithgow for the story to work. But instead, I said, if this guy is played by Steve Carell, this would be the funniest comedy I've ever seen. And my wife gave me as much encouragement as any time she ever has. And she said, yeah, maybe. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Burn. (laughs) So it ran for two seasons with... Pretty good response. Season one had 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, and season two had 91. Hmm. And John Lithgow was the one who ended up starring in it. That's why he said he wished he'd thought John Lithgow. (laughs) Never heard of it. Me neither. (laughs) There were also two seasons of the long-running British crime drama Silent Witness that were loosely based on this case particularly. Oh, really? I love Mm -hmm. that show. And then last, but certainly not least, we have the new HBO Max miniseries, also entitled The Staircase. Mm. We're going to talk about it when I'm done, but I'm going to run through it as if we haven't already watched episode one and we're going to discuss it right after. Awesome. (laughs) So it premiered May 5th, which also happens to be yesterday. (laughs) And it stars Colin Firth as Michael Peterson. And one of my favorite actors of all time, Tony Collette as mm-hmm. Kathleen Peterson. Yeah. Not to mention Parker Posey as Frida Black. Yeah, amazing. And we said it last week. I'll say it again. This isn't an ad. Just excited. <laughs> but if HBO <laughs> wants to pay us, we will gladly take their money. <laughs> so the series has been a passion project for the filmmaker, Antonio Campos who began developing the scripted adaptation of the true crime docuseries in 2008 was when wow. he started. Wow. And honestly, Passion Project's probably not strong enough. Campos was obsessed. He spent years developing a feature, befriending the documentary's filmmaker, visiting Durham as the drama evolved. Interestingly, in the ninth episode of the documentary, 
After Michael's granted a new trial due to a witness's misleading testimony, Campos, the creator of this miniseries, is present in the courtroom. You can see him in the documentary. (laughs) So that should tell you how immense and ingrained in this case he was. That's amazing. And I thought his name sounded familiar, so I just looked him up, and he did The Sinner, which we've also talked about and had, like, some overlap with one of our episodes. Um, Wow, yeah. That's heavy. Bill Pullman Hive, rise up. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so he obsessed. Obsessed enough to be in the courtroom and caught in the documentary. That's amazing. The show's showrunner, so the person who helps oversee the story of the show, her name's Maggie Kahn, and she was talking about the show offering an empathetic vision of Kathleen and her life. Mm -hmm. So in an interview with Vanity Fair, she explained, quote, what we knew of her was this tragic ending at the bottom of a staircase, but what we didn't see was this big, complicated, and beautiful life that she had before that, end quote. Mm which is actually the reason Tony Collette joined. She mm-hmm. was very hesitant to take on the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a quote I found in a different interview with her, she said, the one thing that perturbed me was the idea of bringing attention to someone who potentially did something very bad, fanning his flame yet again. So she was nervous about what this docuseries means, what it means for Michael Peterson versus Kathleen Peterson. But after reading the scripts, she was compelled by this opportunity to rewrite a voiceless victim's narrative. Mm. So she added into the quote, quote, she's making everything happen. She's an exhausted, gorgeous person who just gives and gives and gives. And Michael's a person who takes and takes and takes, end quote. Mm. Yeah. So interestingly, I wrote this before we had our plan to actually talk about the episode. Right. And I literally have in my notes to you, maybe we do a Mare of Easttown style episode breaking down this series once we watch. Mm. What do you think? Which (laughs) we've already agreed to do and we're about to do. (laughs) But sort of to wind down the culture... That's about it in terms of the world of pop culture created by this case, and I'd say so far. Right. And you would think, like, a TV show, a miniseries, a documentary is like, oh, there's not that much, but it's deep. Yeah. And the obsession is deep. And like I said, I saw multiple articles in my research that point to the staircase as the reason we have serial the jinx, Mm -hmm. so many true crime programs, like the reverberations and ripple effects of the success of the staircase on something like Sundance Channel. Right. Open the doors. Yeah, I think it kind of led to this current wave. I mean, this all sounds gross. In my brain, I'm like searching for words that don't make this sound gross, but like more prestige true crime. That sounds gross. High budget. Yeah. When this all came out, it was like Dateline and, and Forensic Files, which I love. And, you know, it's, it, it's its own thing, but this current wave of really digging into the stories and talking about them in, 
I think a less lurid way maybe. Um, and this definitely seems like the beginning of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I don't think it's an accident that the tipping point into a less lurid way of looking at true crime started not in the U.S. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and it's also like, for better or for worse, it's like everything has an agenda. Everything has a bias. That's just human nature but like this genre of like well we're not just dateline cold case file like it's not just everything is in, al in alignment with the police mm -hmm. i think that opens up a different door too mm -hmm. as we look into things like this being unanswered the ugly truth in multiple directions it almost seems to be like a little bit more of like a even playing ground, like thinking about serial and you like really focus with the person who may or may not be guilty mm -hmm. in a unique way that like rarely ever happened. Yeah. Well, because I think that, I mean, we're seeing it now more and more in everyday life, but I think a lot of the kind of American way of looking at things is very black and white, you know, and this mm -hmm. opened the door to looking at things with more nuance because no matter what, from the beginning, it was never super clear cut. And that was always clear from the beginning. And just as an example, his bisexuality, you know, I don't think anyone could imagine that from the moment the police and the DA knew about that had that information that things proceeded in a fair manner. Yeah. I think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it would be impossible for a gay man or a bisexual man in North Carolina in 2001 to get a fair trial. Yeah. And I am inclined to believe that Kathleen didn't know, mm -hmm. but it's also right off the bat, the assumption that Kathleen could never have been okay with that right right which is such a like puritanical i mean that's kind of something taken out of the 50s and maybe she wasn't and couldn't have been but i mean there are a lot of different kinds of relationships out there and there always have been that's not mm -hmm. a new thing it's just new that we talk about it but yeah i mean I don't think that she did only because of how her first marriage ended, but totally. I, I think that it could have been, you know, the assumption that it would have been impossible, I think is very steeped in the values of that place and time. Yeah. I also don't think she knew, but it's the hard line of the prosecutors that there is 0% chance she could have ever been okay because she wasn't a bad person and yeah. only a bad person would be okay with that is the ins insinuation which i mean this is like hearkening to our upbringings and mine in particular <laughs> it's just such a like and i say southern even though i was raised in the midwest like southern midwestern thing but it's such bullshit like growing up I remember the 70s and the 80s, we had all kinds of crazy sex scandals in my town. Like, 
this pastor was doing this and like freaky shit has always happened and people know it too. So it feels not only gross, but also disingenuous for them to claim this kind of like piety and sexual purity when for sure (laughs) shit was happening, you know? Uh. Million percent. Yes. (laughs) So I suppose Switching over to the staircase episode one. Yes. And listeners, they dropped the first three episodes, but it was literally yesterday. And Kirsten and I committed to like an hour and 15 minutes, which was episode one. Mm-hmm. But already so much there. And not just because it's on the longish side, but wow. Where do you even want to start? So I was thinking, I like have my notes I took while I watched it. I don't know if it's a matter of him just being older and, like, I haven't seen him in a while, but I barely see Colin Firth in Colin Mm -hmm. Firth's face. Right? So that opening opening shot zoomed in close on his face. Was it makeup? And, again, I feel like we had this exact conversation with Mare of Easttown. Oh, yeah. Was it makeup that all the, like, broken blood vessels and, like, brown spots on his face? Or is that just him without makeup close up? I don't know. I would be inclined to its makeup solely because you would think ego-wise they would cover it up a little bit. Because that wasn't his defining characteristic. His defining characteristic was that he's, like, a rich guy not like mayor who's like had a really hard life and a lot of struggle (laughs) right 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 yeah i think they added it but maybe it's real i mean it could easily be real (laughs) i mean if it's not real that makeup artist deserves like everything uh i just i love tony collette i don't have anything to base it on because Mm -hmm. i've never experienced the story with kathleen Mm mm-hmm So I'm very happy she's in it. I think she's doing great. But unlike Colin, who I can be like, well, he is really resembling Michael. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And especially the like old age makeup at the end. Yeah. Like the post prison. Yeah. Him. Yep. Yeah. No, I know. It's eerie. And his voice, just everything, you know, it's, it's very, it's eerie. For sure. But yeah, Tony is amazing. Have loved her forever. And she is really bringing the character to life in a way. And again, there's nothing to compare it to for people who never knew Kathleen. But already you're feeling like the weight that she has on her Mm -hmm. as the rock of the family. So another thing I really like so far with one episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Michael, they are doing a wonderful job, in my opinion, of portraying plausible innocence and plausible guilt. Yeah. He is weird, but not too weird. Mm -hmm. He seems to be grieving, but it's still off. Mm -hmm. But not, it doesn't feel fully fake. Like, Mm -hmm. I know it's only one episode, but I mean, Thank goodness they cast Colin Firth. Like, his acting, the nuance so far to keep it in the same vein, because the show's not out to answer if he did it or not either. Right, right. 
and I'm I'm really feeling it. Like yeah, I was like, damn, they're doing a good job of making it hard to know. Yeah, well, and I I just I mean I don't want to give a ton away, and I don't feel like this is giving too much away. But if it is, just cut it. I feel like it feels almost documentary-ish. In, yeah, the cinematography like, choices too. Yeah, and the little details of, I mean, this really stood out to me. And, you know, we talk a lot about how we talk about crime and trying not to valorize people and, you know, make it seem anything other than really ugly and brutal. But how they showed her on the stairs and she had wet herself, which happens when people die Mm -hmm. just that little detail and then later in the evening they showed her again and it had dried and just like so much attention to detail it is incredible and just they didn't shy away from the ugliness of it but not in a way that felt like blood for blood's sake you know but really like to capture the horror of not just this particular crime scene but like a death like this in general it might have been the real way it happened it might not have been but i also valued that the medical examiner and the assistant were both female Mm -hmm. during the autopsy scene Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like exploitative nudity Mm -hmm. yeah no it feels very grounded in a way that again i just don't i don't feel like you see all that often like and it's not it doesn't look bad but something like Mayer had like a really stylized cinematography mm-hmm. where this feels like you said closer to documentary visually it's not it's not the same as like a documentary camera but like mm-hmm. it's like pretty bright and mm-hmm. the shots are not like beautifully composed it's like more like how it would look mm-hmm. yeah for sure for sure so, Staying out of spoilers. Oh, oh, you triggered another thing, though. But, like, when he went in and fell on her Mm. and was sobbing and they're like, get him off of her. And he was getting her blood on him and all of that. It read so perfectly that it could have been real and it could have been fake. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I I just saw the whole thing as, like, you've faking bastard <laughs> there were two things that i was like what the fuck yeah well, i guess there were several but sharing the big goblet thing and toasting slash complimenting each other around the table is that real because ugh. <laughs> yeah i don't know but I mean, I'm looking at it through the COVID lens and I'm like, germs, 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 germs. No, 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 no. But imagine being that like forced complimentary to your family at dinner. That was, I was really uncomfortable. Yeah, there's like, I, but again, I feel like that's, that to me just reads like narcissist doing this thing, you know? Yeah. The other piece that it just wasn't right for me was after she died, them eating dinner, Mm -hmm. followed by the birthday cake. Birthday cake aside, we did not like sit down and eat a meal 
for like a week after my dad died. Mm -hmm. Like none of us could eat anything. At Mm -hmm. best, you could like pick at something, you know, you have to have calories. But like the idea of sitting down and having a meal, Mm -hmm. it it felt like unfathomable to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely seemed strange. But again, I think that there was some kind of, like you said, forced, there was something performative about their family that I think was enforced internally with these kind of unwritten rules. That's the sense that I get from the documentary, that they had to almost perform for him. And in his mind, he was the orchestrator of this. I don't know. Yeah. So as someone who has done a bunch of research and know who these people are, how do you feel about them not explaining who the kids are and the extent of the relationships? I'm assuming that's coming. Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of suspending any thought of it, but I did I did find that a little... I found how they just kind of jumped in a little difficult and then the way they moved around in time. But again, only one episode in, I feel like I have to suspend that a little bit. But it definitely seems like something that was made with an understanding that people are going to probably watch them all in pretty quick succession. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was a little, that felt a little difficult. And if you didn't know about the case, I think it would be really confusing because it was clear it's like step siblings and i think they're going to get into the other kids once they reveal that side of Mm -hmm. the story with the other death in a staircase Mm -hmm. so i was like okay there's a pacing reason for this but i was wondering about someone who's never watched the documentary starting here if that would have been extremely confusing like who are all these adult children that kind of don't look alike Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm And also they kind of do allude to it when Caitlin is kind of like, why are you making a big deal? And she's like, it's different. You know, it is, you know, it's like there's some little, you know, I mean, maybe they've just made a calculated decision that 90% of the people who watch it have already seen the documentary and know something about it. I, I don't know, but I would think if you knew nothing about it or you haven't seen the documentary in 17 years, it would. It would be confusing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm willing to go on this ride and see where they're taking me and then. Me too. And there was a part where somebody said like swoop in. And I was like, I wonder if that's like a loose connection to the owl. I mean, it's got to be right. Because even if it wasn't consciously added, you know, you know what you know. They specifically called out the pine needle. And the mm, autopsy oh, yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I think we're going to go there. I think They're going there, yeah. Is included, even though it wasn't in, like, the prosecution. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I might cut this out because it's going to feel horrific to even say. But when Michael was on the phone setting up his hookup, yeah. and he was just like, you ready to get that ass pounded? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> Well, and I think that they did that by design for the shock value in a way, because at the beginning, again, if you don't know where it's going, it's kind of like, oh, he's arranging a business meeting or, you know, they. I think they're intentionally kind mm-hmm. of 
keeping that. And then just it comes out so casually. Yeah, and then, that was like yeah, it, the way he said it, and not even Colin Firth, but like Michael Peterson is what was in my head. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh my god. Also, just like seeing the brief glimpses of like early two thousand <laughs> skate porn. <laughs> it's like, oh, that takes me back. <laughs> and I mean, one thing and cut this if this is off but I do find myself wondering was he actually bisexual and not because I don't believe in bisexuality but because you know he's raised in a time when men would not you know come out even Mm -hmm. to themselves and so it does make me wonder if his life with Kathleen and his first wife, if they were, you know, he wanted children, he wanted a life that looked a certain way and he appreciated them as friends, but he is gay or was gay. And again for office too. Like you've got to hold that in. Right. With even bisexuality. Yeah. Oh. And so that goes to also like, you know, just his performance of how much he loved her and their relationship and not that it would be a motive to kill because I think that in a lot of marriages like that, there was definite love of friendship and things Mm -hmm. like that. But a threat of exposure would land very differently if you genuinely loved someone and versus this is kind of an arranged marriage only he knows about. Totally. And I agree with you, like having ended her marriage because of being cheated on, it's hard to imagine a conversation in which she was like, yeah, it's okay if you have sex with men, as long as you're safe. Like that's the part where it's like, so it's not like she could never be okay with an open relationship or bisexuality. It's more so how her marriage ended. Yeah, and to me, it's not even about the other partners being men. It's just, you know, she has a track record of wanting monogamy. Mm -hmm. But then the villainization of bisexuality by the prosecution was so over the top Yeah, that, like, it adds to the reason why it's not a slam dunk. Yeah, totally. And seeing that ferocity also adds to like the strength of motive if she was threatening to expose him because it would be very reasonable in that place and time to assume that it would kind of ruin your life at least a life constructed in this way Mm -hmm. but that's more narcissism because he wanted that life. He wanted the, to be a politician. He wanted to be important. And he knew that would kill it. Because he was rich. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was yeah. writing more books, selling books. Like, it was those grander designs, too. Yeah. Because for sure, he could have leaned. I mean, you know, it's like a lot of cases that we talk about in the mind of someone who has theoretically committed a heinous act to protect something. 
there are a lot of ways he could have spun that to get out of it is like, oh, he's this eccentric Southern gentleman who enjoys men and women. I mean, there there could have been a way to play that that would he would have been fine, but so had, not fine within like what he yeah. wanted for himself. I had one other question, which was, do you have any recollection if he actually showed up late to the funeral viewing because I have never known of a viewing where there wasn't a private family only viewing first. Yeah. And in the show, when he showed up, there were tons of people there. And it was like, again, having gone through it with like my dad and my grandpa, like you're part of the deciders. Like you're at the funeral home. Yeah. You're potentially the one dressing the person. Yeah. And there's like, again, and it's like, maybe this is a Mormon thing. Maybe this is a my family thing. But it's like, there's always a private family only viewing first. Yeah. I mean, if it's wanted. But But yeah. it, It seems so surprising that he would show up and so many people would be there. Yeah. I mean, it could just be that the private thing happened off camera. Mm, True. But yeah, I mean, they presented it not in that kind of fashion. But yeah, that's not a Mormon thing. Catholics do that too. There's, yeah, a private, even whether it's kind of in the days before or right, you know, the morning of or in the Mm -hmm. hours before any guests arrive. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the weird part. What I yeah. watched, uh, when I was watching, I took that note specifically because I was like, well, that seems weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it does make you kind of wonder what are the kind of storytelling decisions that they're making, which is true in a documentary as well, because mm-hmm. they can't show you all of the footage. So there are decisions always in any kind of storytelling, but it does kind of make you wonder. And I think where the staircase is going is... It's also going to talk about the fact that he got into a relationship with one of the people from the documentary crew. I did not know that. Or if I knew it, I forgot. Because I'm pretty sure that's who he kissed at the end of the episode in like his Mm -hmm. old age makeup. Like they don't say who she is, but I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure that's who he's seeing. Yeah. Wild. So again, questioning people's biases and... Yeah. And judgment. There's a lot there. Oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Listeners, I really hope you also find this fascinating. And not a lot of listeners take us up on this. And we have the metrics, so we know that you're listening. (laughs) If you want to like DM us on Instagram or email us at mostfoulpod at gmail.com and like tell us your thoughts. Do you think he's guilty? What do you think about the owl theory? I could go on and on and on about this. Oh, my God. We should do a story where we people can vote. I feel like let's do that. Yeah. It's like one of the first true crime stories I got into at this level. And I think I'll always wonder about yeah. this case. And honestly, this might be a most foul first, but I think I might have changed my mind. Well, I think... That's where, like, I've been, like, really careful to be, like, I still do think he did it, but I couldn't vote guilty as a juror 
Yeah, I definitely couldn't vote guilty, but I'm also just not sure anymore, which, ugh. And I'm fascinated to see by the end of the miniseries how they end up presenting it. Right. I almost want to go back and watch the documentary. Oh, it's good. I feel like the newer episodes were kind of pointless. Yeah, agreed. But, I mean, I think it just speaks to that fascination. People still are curious, still want to know about it. Mm, This is a good one. I agree. (laughs) I mean, you know, humbly stated. I hope that everyone enjoys it as much as I enjoyed talking about it. 100%. (laughs) And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. Yeah, we do. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 